Our topic this week, what happens when we die? Or do we surely die? All right, so last week we looked at a little bit of do we surely die? There's two aspects to it. And so this week we're going to look at another aspect of it. If you missed last week, uh, it'll be available on shalomadventure.com. You can just type in uh, The Devil's End. That was the title of it, The Devil's End, how he's going to end. Um, and, or, or Hot Stuff, the various different titles for it. You'll be able to find it under that, How Hot Is Hell. And uh, so this week we're going to look at a little aspect, another aspect of Satan's lie that we do not surely die. And God's truth that we do surely die. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Plain enough, right? A few verses later, it should be, right? But a few verses later, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So who is telling the truth? Do we surely die or do we not surely die? Whom do you believe? God, now we asked that question last week. And then as we looked at some text and we looked at the topic of last week, Many of us realized that we had been taught and had been led to believe that we don't really die or that the wicked don't really die or that Satan doesn't really die. And so I think we might be surprised again today at how strong this lie has been, how permeated it has taken society and the world since Adam and Eve's time to this very day worldwide. So as we get into that topic, let's look a little bit about the judgment, because it really has to do a lot with the judgment. So what does the Bible say about the judgment? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 24, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Now Yeshua was talking to Capernaum, and he says it shall be more tolerable. So what tense is that? Past, present, or future, it shall be more tolerable. Future tense. So he's saying to Capernaum that in the future, in the day of judgment, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than it will be for them. So if it's in the future going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment, then has Sodom received its full judgment yet? No. Right, they received an initial judgment, right? They were destroyed with with fire and brimstone. Obviously, that's not the ultimate judgment. That's not the second death judgment because it says it will be more tolerable in the judgment for them than it will be for Capernaum. Because on next chapter, Matthew 12, verse 41, Nineveh will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. In verse 42, the queen of the south, Queen of Sheba, will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. So again, what tense is he using there? Will rise in the judgment. Past, present, or future? Future. So in the future from Yeshua's day, Nineveh, which was already destroyed before this, in the future, Nineveh will rise together with those in Yeshua's generation 
and condemn it. And the same with the Queen of Sheba, who is all the way back from Solomon's time, that she will arise together with that generation, with this generation, and condemn it. So then has Nineveh been received his final judgment yet? No, he's in the future still at that time. John chapter 5, verse 28. The hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So the hour is coming. What tense is that? Future tense, right? So day is coming when all who are in the graves, right? So the people of Sodom, the, the people of Nineveh, Cain, all the way back, all that are in the graves will hear his voice. They are where? In the graves. And they will come forth and they will hear his voice. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So two resurrections, one for life, one for damnation. Right? The wages of sin is death, and the opposite, the gift of God, is eternal life. Right? So uh, everlasting life, or everlasting destruction, or everlasting damnation. Similar terms used throughout the scriptures. So again, it's in the future. Revelation eleven fifteen. the seventh angel sounded and the time of the dead that they should be judged. So a time would be coming during the seventh angel, the seventh trumpet, the seventh shofar would blast the end, the very end, the last one. And that is when the dead will be judged. They aren't judged yet. Even in Revelation's time, he's talking about a future time when the dead would be judged. So if they haven't been judged yet, they haven't received the resurrection of life or damnation yet, could they possibly be in heaven or hell yet? No, because it's in the future. Matthew 16, verse 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. They're talking about his second coming. Right? The theological term, Advent, the second Advent. At the second coming, he will come with the glory of his Father, and that is when he will reward each according to his works. That's when the judgment takes place. What is the rewards that he comes with? Eternal life or death. Right? The wages of sin... Right? The gift is death. Or the gift of God is eternal life. Right? right? Or perishing or everlasting life. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? So those are the two gifts. Those are the two rewards. Right? Either life or death. Everlasting life or death. And then very similar text, almost word for word, in Revelation, chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his works. That's almost the last words in the Bible, very close to the last words in the Bible. That he is coming, and when he comes, he will give out the rewards. 
Matthew 13, verse 30, let both the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat into my barns. So it's simultaneously at the time of the harvest, at the very end, the wicked are burned and the righteous brought into God's barns, into the, into the mansions that he's preparing for us. The separation of the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, and many other analogies that the Bible gives us. So from these texts, we see that the judgment is in the future. The judgment is at the second advent of the Messiah. The rewards are given at the second advent of Messiah. The separating of the righteous and the wicked are at the end of the age, at the harvest, at the second advent. The resurrection of the righteous is at the second advent of the Messiah. So all of it is in the future. So if the judgment is in the future, the rewards haven't been given out yet, then no one has received everlasting life or everlasting damnation yet. Many plain texts from many plain portions of the Bible. So it brings up the question then, what happens to our deceased loved ones until the time of the judgment? until the rewards are given out, until the final separation of the righteous and the wicked, until the resurrection. In other words, what happens when we die? What happens until that time? So the Bible clearly said from all those texts and many, many others we can look at that it's in the future, the judgment, the resurrection, the rewards. So what's happening to the dead until that time? Where should we go? Where should we look? Where should we find the answer to these questions? The Bible. The Bible. That's right, the Bible. Let's go to the Bible. And where's a great place to start? In Genesis. Right, in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Give us all the answers or the foundation for all these important topics that we've been looking at week after week after week, including this one. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God, where God describes how... You, we're formed, and we understand how we're formed, it'll understand how we're created, and understand, we'll be able to understand what happens when we die. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we have these two elements dust of the ground and the breath of God. And when you bring those two elements together, you have a living soul. Some translations say a living being or a person. Right? So we don't have a soul, we are a soul. He became a living soul when those two things are brought together. Kind of like when, if you take uh, sodium and chlorine, chloride and put them together, you have salt. Right, so that combination of the two make the third entity, make the salt. They're not salt apart from it. Together, they make the salt. And so mankind is this combination of the dust of the ground and God's breath that he breathed into us, making a living soul. So the equation is dust plus spirit equals a living soul, right, or a living being or person. And then after the fall, next chapter, it tells us what the reverse is. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. To Adam he said, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Right? And so back to the dust when we die. Into the graves we go when we die. And almost word for word, is in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So it's God's Spirit, it's God's breath, and that's what goes back to God. The Spirit goes back to God, but to dust we go. The body goes to the dust, and the Spirit goes back to God. The Ruach goes back to God. So spirit, breath, similar terms. Here, the word ruach goes back to God who gave it. God's spirit, God gave it, it goes back to him. Our last breath, they breathe their last breath, breath goes back to God, the spirit goes back to God. In James chapter 2, verse 26, uses this for an analogy of faith. It says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Right? So faith without works is dead? Right? Is works without faith dead? Can you have faith, true faith? I mean, true works without faith? No. You need the combination, right? We need faith that works. Right? We can have works, but it's not godly works. It's not, it's our own strength works, not by faith. It's dearly dead works. Filthy rags. So both have to be together. Without, without the two elements together, it is dead. And that's what he says. Without, the body without the spirit is dead. Thus the spirit without the body is also dead. Right. Yeah, so body minus the soul, the body minus the spirit is death. No soul. Right? What part of our being is the brain? Part of the body, right? That's yeah, part of the body, right? And so the thinking is part of the body. And that goes where? Down to the ground. How about our eyes? The eyes, what, what, what does the eyes belong to? Part of the body, right? How about the heart? The body. How about the lungs? The body, right? How about the hands? Body. The feet? Body. That's right. That's right. So the spirit doesn't have eyes. The spirit's not looking. The spirit doesn't have a brain. The spirit doesn't have a heart. The spirit doesn't have lungs. The spirit's not walking around. It doesn't have the bodily parts to do so. It is separated from the two. And thus, the body that without the spirit is dead, and the spirit without the body is dead. Both needed together, including the soul. Right, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Because once those two elements are removed, then the soul dies. That's what the Bible says. The soul dies. Not an immortal soul, not an ongoing living soul. The spirit went back to God who gave it. The body went down to the earth. And thus, the soul dies. What is the soul? In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved. So 
So when Peter's talking about Noah and the flood, and he says there were eight souls on the ark, and eight souls were saved, is he talking about these ghosts that were floating around on the ark? Is that what he's talking about? No, he's talking about Noah and, and his wife and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws, right? The eight people. Right? So again, we are souls. We are people. We are beings. And so the soul, when he says, oh, my soul, it's like, oh, myself, right? That's what he's talking about. The person, the soul. The soul is the combination of the, of the flesh, the body, the dust with God's spirit making a living soul. So let's look at some, well, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. Who alone has immortality? The King of kings and the Lord of lords. What's another title or name for him? Yeshua, Yeshua right? What's another title or name for him? God, right? God alone has immortality. God alone has has immortality. Do the angels have immortality? No. no. So what does that mean will happen to them if they don't stay connected with God? They will die. Right? So like we learned last week, what will happen to Satan? He will surely die. He doesn't like that. <laughs> and so what about humans? Do humans Are humans immortal? No, we have to eat from the tree of life, right? That's why God kicked us out of the Garden of Eden, because if they ate from the tree of life, they would continue to live. And so we don't naturally have immortality. That's one of the gifts that God gives us in giving us eternal life. He gives us the gift of immortality, but we don't naturally have it. There's no such thing. Nowhere in the Bible will you find these two words together, immortal soul. It's not there. It's not there. That's a made-up doctrine. It's man-made. It's not in the Bible at all. Man is mortal, and thus we need to be dependent on God. We need to be attached to him, locked in with him, receiving the gift from him, and eating from the tree of life to have the gift of immortality. And so if we're mortal, that means we die. Right? That's the definition, right? So we die. But Satan wants us to believe we don't surely die. And so he's been perpetuating that since the very beginning. This is an old anal analogy to try and picture what it's like that we die. So let's imagine we got these screws and we got these boards. Now let's imagine these screws represent the spirit, the breath of God, and the board represents the dust, the body. Right? So we just have these two elements, we got these screws and we got these boards. Now if we put the two together, we can get a box. Right? So the box is the combination of the screws and the wood. Now we take our screw gun and we take those screws out of the wood and we put the screws back in a pile again and we put the wood in another pile again. What happens to the box? It's gone. Right, the same thing that happens to your lap when you stand up, right? <laughs> it's gone. Right? Yeah, so it's the combination. The box is the combination of the two. Here's another analogy maybe to help to illustrate it. If you have a light fixture and a light bulb, of itself, is it able to produce light? No. no. It needs electricity, right? And so the electricity representing God's spirit, God's breath, God's energy, God's electric source, 
that connects with the body and ignites it and gives it life and makes it a living soul. And so when we plug the light, uh, the light fixture into the electric outlet, the light, the light bulb will give us light, right? And then light representing the living soul, the living being, the combination of the electricity and the light, the light bulb. And what happens if we unplug the light from the wall? No light. The electricity goes back to the wall where it came from. The light goes out. So bulb plus electricity equals light. Bulb minus electricity is no light. Body plus the so spirit is a living soul. Body minus the spirit is death. No soul. Does that help to understand how the Bible's describing this? The soul that's in it, they will die. Right? The body goes back to the dust. The spirit goes back to God. It is dead. What God specifically said in the beginning, you will surely die. So what happens if you plug it back in again? And you get light again. And the resurrection. Right? Or like uh, Ezekiel's dry bones that he describes, the valley of dry bones. Can these dry bones live? God puts flesh on them and still not alive. Can these dry bones live? God breathes his spirit, sends the wind, and resurrects it and brings it back to life. Psalm 104 describes this very thing. It says, you take away their breath and they die and return to the dust, their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. So in Psalm 104, it's describing death and the resurrection. Very clearly, very plainly, very simply. Living soul minus the spirit is death, no soul. But the body then, plus the spirit again, is the living soul again. That God resurrects us. He unites the two back together. So then how does the Bible describe what it is like to be dead until the resurrection? We see what happens. We see the separation. We see they die. The soul is no more. The soul died. The spirit went back to God. The body goes back down to the grave, down to the dust. So what, how does the Bible describe what it's like to be dead until the resurrection? Well, let's take a look in the Bible and see what it says. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. But you go your way until the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of days. Again, pretty plain words. God speaking to Daniel, saying many who sleep in the dust. They are sleeping in the dust, but they will awake. Some to, again, the two resurrections. Some to the resurrection of life, the everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt, right? Or everlasting damnation or corruption or destroyed or all these other texts that we saw. Those are the two choices, life or death. But you, Daniel, specifically you, Daniel, you go your way until the end. You shall rest. 
you will arise. But when does he arise? At the end of days. So has Daniel arisen yet? No, we're not at the end of days yet, are we? I wish we were, but we're not there yet. So according to what God specifically told Daniel, Daniel, you're not going to arise until the end of days. You're going to rest. You're going to sleep. Just Daniel? Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, you shall sleep with your fathers. 1 Kings 2, 19. David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. 1 Kings eleven forty three. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. So regarding Moses, God said, it was the Lord who said, you will sleep with your fathers. The devil says, you won't surely die. But God said to him, you will sleep with your fathers. Now, the book of Jude tells us that God did a special resurrection for Moses, an early resurrection for Moses. He fought, he contended over the body of Moses and did a special resurrection for Moses. That's why Moses was able to appear with Elijah or Yeshua on the Mount of Transfiguration. But it's because he received a special resurrection. But initially, God said he would sleep, and he did, until that resurrection. David, it says, David slept with his fathers. Barbara and I were studying with a young lady one, one time and, and uh, we were covering this topic and we looked at this text and, and we showed it to her and we, she read it, 1 Kings 2, 19 or 10, and, and she, we said, do you understand what that means? She said, David was a homosexual? Oh. No, 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 <laughs> well, let's go over this again. It's <laughs> right? so not only does Satan have us deceived, he has us perverted in our minds and hearts nowadays. It's hard for us to understand the Bible. Now, some of the modern versions use the word rest, but same thing. David rested with his fathers or slept with his fathers, and Solomon slept with his fathers. Let's look at just a few more texts. Acts chapter 2, verse 34, regarding David. David did not ascend into heaven. That was by Peter talking. And then Paul, giving a sermon, said, David fell asleep and saw corruption. Acts chapter 13, verse 36. So, the writer of 1 Kings, yeah, I can't stop. The writer of 1 Kings, uh, write it down and we'll talk later. Uh, the writer of 1 Kings says that uh, he did not ascend, that he slept. The, Peter says he did not ascend. Paul says he fell asleep. Then what does David say about himself? Psalm 13, 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So the writer of 1 Kings, Peter, Paul, David himself, all describing the state that David would be in. Is David in heaven? Peter says he has not ascended to heaven. So who are we going to believe? Peter, Paul, David, the writer of 1 Kings, or are we going to believe the devil who says, surely you won't surely die? That's what it comes down to. Who are we going to believe? So let's look at a few more texts. Can you, can you read those? <laughs> over 60 texts, close to 70 texts that use the term sleep over and over and over and over again. In many, many books of the Bible, 
from the Torah all the way down to 2 Peter, 1 Thessalonians, text chapter after chapter, various different books, writer after writer after writer, using this term, again, some translations call it rest, but sleep, rest, same thing, over and over and over again. And yet this deception that we don't surely die is in Judaism, is in Christianity, is in Islam, is in Buddhism, is in Hinduism, is in animist. I believe you're in some tree, if your loved one is in a tree, or in some fetish, or, re or reincarnation, or up in heaven looking down on you, or you go and blow up some Jews in Islam, you, you go and inherit 30, uh, 72 virgins. Actually, that's a mistranslation. In the Arabic, it's really, they receive a 72-year-old virgin. Right? So that, you know, there's a little misinterpretation. They think they're getting 72, they get there, there's, there's, there's old ladies there, right? But, uh... <laughs> anyway, permeated, this lie has permeated all religions and non-religions, and yet the Bible is very plain on this topic. They sleep. And back when we were more literate biblical society, more biblical literate society, we'd write it on tombstones. Here, Rudy Smith uh, died in 1905, asleep in Jesus. Where did he get that phrase from? The Bible. And we used to have the term rip, right? Rip, what does rip mean? Rest in peace. Where right? do they get these terms from? From the Bible. Rest in peace, right? If you have a pet, a cat, a dog, and it's getting old, its teeth are falling out, it's got these diseases, and it's sickly, and it's, you know, relieving itself on the carpet, and it's really, you know, hard, it's not getting along, not doing well, what do you do? You take it to the vet, you pay thousands of dollars a month to give it drugs and have operations and keep it alive every little bit because we hate death, we can't stand the idea of death. Right, but we used to put them to sleep. Right, it's a biblical term. We put them to sleep. And I like that, I like sleeping. Sleeping is my favorite thing to do all day. I just can't wait to go to sleep. That is my favorite thing, there's nothing more I like better than sleeping. I could sleep day, I could sleep night, I could sleep anywhere, I can sleep in a car, I could be driving, I can sleep. If I close my eyes, <laughs> if I close my eyes right now, I might fall asleep on you. I could sleep anywhere at any time. I love to sleep. I love to sleep. I hate waking up, but I don't want to miss the wake up call of the Lord, right? But, uh, but if he wants to let me sleep and rest till he comes, I'd be very happy with that. Give me a break, let me take a nap, I'm okay. With that, that'd be wonderful. Rest from my labors. Here's another person, Roy Berry, rest in peace. Right? Rest in peace. Biblical terms. Yeshua himself. We don't like all those Bible writers, we don't like all those people, we don't like that God specifically said it to Moses. Yeshua said, John chapter 11, verse 11, Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Yeshua spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Yeshua said to them plainly, 
Lazarus is dead. So he says Lazarus sleeps, but he really meant Lazarus is dead. Same thing, Yeshua is using this term interchangeably. And then he tells Martha he's going to resurrect him. And Martha says, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Where did Martha learn that? The Bible, from the Bible, all these texts and many others that are in the Bible. Yeah, I know he's going to resurrect at the last day. I know I'll see him again at the last day. Yeshua was talking about something miraculous. But the Lord said, by this time, or they said, Yeshua said, roll away the stone. They said, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Lazarus was dead four days. And Yeshua said, Lazarus, come forth, not come down. He said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came out of the tomb. After being there four days. Now, if I was Lazarus, and I've been dead four days, and if I was in heaven, enjoying the bliss of heaven, eating from the tree of life, and the river of life, and the, walking on the streets of gold, if Yeshua would have said, come back, I'd say, no way. <laughs> that would have been the cruelest thing he could have possibly done to Lazarus, right? It wouldn't be fair at all. It wouldn't be nice at all to come back to see Yeshua get killed, to, Deal with the persecution and the Romans and all the problems? No, that'd be horrible. Now, how many have read in the Bible the book of Lazarus? You've seen the book of Lazarus in the Bible? Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Lazarus, right? He where he describes where he was in heaven and he was talking with Adam and, and they had breakfast together. They didn't have any apples. They had breakfast together and they were enjoying themselves together and, and he got together with Abraham and, and uh, was walking with him and talking with him and, and he met with, uh, with uh, Daniel and he heard firsthand that whether or not he actually got to pet one of the lions in the lion's den or not and, and he talked with Noah and, and he found out what it was like to be on the ark with all those animals and he was just having a wonderful time there and, and uh, dancing on the streets of gold. You remember those books? Read that. No? No book of Lazarus? How about a chapter describing four days in heaven? Lazarus, Lazarus is four days in heaven. A book like that? Never seen that? A chapter? A few verses? A couple words? In heaven for four days and no, no description of that? Nothing to say? Now there were about seven different people that were raised from the dead. Yeshua raised uh, a, a young girl, uh, uh, a widow's son. Uh, God used Peter to raise someone from the dead, Dorcas. God used Paul to raise a, a boy who fell out of a window from the dead. God used Elijah to raise a young boy from the dead, and, and, or Elisha, and, and, and another, uh, after Elisha was dead, someone was thrown in his grave, and he, and he raised about seven or so different people. Died, resurrected. How many verses in the Bible describing their experience? Seeing the light, going down the tunnel. None of them. Not one of them. They could have made a lot of money. Not one of them wrote a book, wrote a verse. Now, why would that be? The Bible tells us why. 
For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Just like when you're asleep. Don't know anything. You don't know if it's raining or what's going on out there. The dead know not anything. As Ecclesiastes 9.5. And in Psalm 146, 3 and 4. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth. He returns to the earth. In that very day his thoughts perish. Why? Where are the thoughts? In the brain. And where's the brain? It's part of the body. And the body is in the grave, in the dust. Right. The breath went back to God who gave it. And the brain went down. So his thoughts perished. That's why Lazarus didn't have anything to say. That's why those seven different people had nothing to say and nothing to write. Because they knew nothing. They were asleep. They were resting in peace. Psalm 6, verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave who will give you thanks? They don't remember you. They don't remember God. They're not giving thanks to God. They are resting in peace. Here's an interesting text. Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Here you go to a funeral. Oh, they're looking down at us. Oh, they are so happy that we are all here gathered in their remembrance and, and, and more, a memorial for them. Oh, they are so happy looking down at us. They're up there praising the Lord. They're singing hallelujah. They're singing, they're dancing on the streets of gold. And you stand up and you read Psalm 115, verse 17. The dead praise not the Lord, neither go any down to silence. You'll never be invited to another funeral ever again. But that's what the Bible says. They're not praising the Lord. That's what it says. The dead praise not the Lord. So amazing. How can we miss this? Because we don't like the idea that we will surely die. And Satan knew that. And that's why he used that. He knew the human nature. He studied Adam and Eve enough that he understood our nature and that death would be repulsive to us. We would remain in denial that we actually die. And so he used that, you shall not surely die. And he said, that sounds great to me. And we've been in that same denial ever since. But the Bible has been very clear on this. We do surely die until the resurrection. The devil's lie has been very effective in this earth. And so who have we been led to believe? Who have we been taught to believe? The devil, that we don't surely die? That we go right off to heaven or hell? Or have we been taught what God says? We surely die. We rest in peace. My grandmother used to use that term all the time when she would mention someone who had already passed away. So like she'd say, Oh, and your grandfather, may he rest in peace, when he was doing it, she'd go on with her sentence. And so she'd say, you know, when your grandfather may he rest in peace, I'd say, he has no choice. <laughs> you know, he is resting in peace. <laughs> he has no choice. That's what happens. You rest in peace. We rest. He's asleep, sleeping, waiting 
for the resurrection of the Lord. And so Satan has used this deception very effectively down through the ages all over the world. So then there's some questions about where they hear about these people who have these near-death experiences. Let's look at some facts regarding near-death experiences. First off, none of the people who experienced near-death experiences really died. That's why it's called near-death experience. It's not called after-death experience, it's called near-death experience. Now, what situation are you people generally in when they're near death? It could be sick, right, exactly, they're sick, right? So, so maybe their blood is not, maybe they had a heart attack or a stroke and their blood is not pumping well and they're not getting good oxygen to the brain. Uh, or maybe they were in a car accident and, and they're bleeding and, 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 and so they're not getting good oxygen to the brain. Or maybe they got broken bones and they're in pain and pain can cause uh, hallucinations. Or, or, um, or maybe they're uh, on the operating table and even though they're under anesthesia, which is a drug, and so maybe they're hallucinating because of the drugs they're on, or maybe they uh, are on medications, various different medications, because they've been sick for a while, and, and those also can have an effect on the brain, uh, or their operating table, and they're getting cut open, and even though they're on anesthesia, they don't know they're in pain, but they're in pain. <laughs> their body is experiencing that pain, and that pain is affecting the brain, and the anesthesia is affecting the brain. And so in many, many cases, most cases, when we're near death, we're not in a good mental state of mind. And so we're hallucinating in many cases. Many near-death experiences resemble hallucinations. There was a professor, Timothy Leary, he used to give his students, encourage students to take LSD. And they would write poems, and they would talk about their experiences, and many of the experiences that they wrote about are very close to what people say they experience when they have a near-death experience. This out-of-body experience, they see their body on the table, and they're floating in the air, just like on LSD. Or they see a light, or they see things. Very similar type of experience. And so many of the near-death experiences, again, they're not dead. They're just near-dead. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, it says, The person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. There's many different texts in the Bible that say, Do not talk to the dead. Do not talk with familiar spirits. Why, if our dead loved ones are now there with Adam and Noah and David and Daniel and, and having a great time up there and Yeshua and, and close to God, why wouldn't God want us to be able to learn from them? Why wouldn't he want us to learn from their experience? Why wouldn't he want us to, them to be able to tell us something? Because he knows that they're not in heaven. He knows that they are resting. He knows that their thoughts have perished. He knows that they know nothing. It's the devil who said, you will not surely die, but you will become into an elevated state of being. That's why God says explicitly over and over again, do not talk with the dead. And in Revelation chapter 16, verse 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs. So these familiar spirits, people you are familiar with. And I've talked to people who say they, have, they speak with their 
deceased husband or whatever. There's TV shows where, where you can talk with your dead pet, uh, you can talk to a squirrel, a dead squirrel. Oh, they're looking in the crystal ball. Oh, I see a squirrel. Oh, really? I feed a squirrel outside my house. Oh, what does he say? He says, oh, he says, thank you for the peanuts. And Oh, I should have looked both ways before I crossed the road. You know, they're talking to squirrels. It became into an elevated state. They're talking to their dogs. They're talking to their cats. They're talking to demons. Spirits of demons. Impersonating. If Satan was able to take over a snake, a serpent, and talk through it to Eve, do you think he can impersonate your deceased loved one? This is why this is such an important topic. Last week's topic was very important because it had to do with the character of God. Is God merciful? Is God just? Is God loving? This has to do with the last day deception. Satan used this as his first deception, and he's going to use it as an overmastering delusion upon the world to deceive the world at the end of time. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So if Satan comes back appearing as an angel of light or appearing as the Messiah, and people start having these experiences with familiar spirits, with people they were familiar with, people that had died. And we think it's them. We think it's our loved one. And something that looks and sounds just like your grandmother or your grandfather comes and talks to you. Says some things, your spouse, your child that died and says some things that only you and they knew. Of course, the evil angels, they're listening in on everything, too. And they say things and sound just like them. And they say, yeah, though, that's the Messiah. And Mahatma Gandhi, that's the Messiah. He comes back, that's the Messiah. Buddha comes back, oh, that's the Messiah. Muhammad comes back, that's the Messiah. People start appearing to people in all religions, in all walks of life, all who have been led into the deception that they don't surely die, will have people, what appears to be people, spirits of demons, will come back to them in the appearance of their dead loved ones and lie to them. Well, God changed his mind, God changed his laws. Yes, that being there... Is, is the Messiah, go listen to him, follow him. He's healing people, he's quoting the Bible. Do you think people would be deceived with that? If they did not understand this, if they did not understand what the Bible teaches on this, and someone comes back from, seems to come back from the dead, this is what Satan used to deceive Saul. He had a witch. Bring what appeared to be Samuel. If God wasn't speaking to Saul, is Samuel going to listen to a witch to speak to Saul? No. It was a familiar spirit. It was a spirit of demons speaking to Saul and giving him nothing but a dismal view of the tomorrow's war. war. You're going to die. Your sons are going to die. That's a great way to go into battle. There was no hope. There was no promise. There was no opportunity for repentance. It wasn't from God. It wasn't from Samuel. It was a spirit of a demon appearing like Samuel 
and speaking to him. And that's what's going to happen in the last days. And when all these people groups and all these people who don't understand this, who think their loved one is in heaven, and then have their loved one in the room with them talking to them, saying, oh yeah, no, that's the Messiah. And you say, no, 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 that's the devil appearing as an angel of light. They're going to stone us. You think they're going to listen to you over their dead loved one? We have to understand, this is going to be the last deception. Again, it was Satan's first. He's used it successfully to every culture that has ever lived. He has deceived Jews and Christians and Muslims and Buddhists. Again, everybody. Hindus, everybody is deceived on this area. How easily he can bring everybody together to all the world follow the beast using this one deception. This is why this is such an important topic. This is why I think the Bible, we've looked at over 100 texts over and over and over again all throughout the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, we've seen the description of what happens when we, uh, how we were created, description of what happens when we die, all these texts, sleep, 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 and yet people miss it. Clear text in Matthew and in John and Yeshua saying it, Paul saying it, Peter saying it, and we miss it because Satan has deluded the world with his lie. We need to be awake. We need to hear God's spirit. And just understanding this and seeing this won't be enough. It's going to take the spirit of God to break the satanic hold that Satan has had over us in this area. For God's truth to permeate our minds and our hearts. I know someone, his wife died, and he understood this. And one day, an apparition appeared looking just like his wife. Sounding just like his wife. He felt so moved to go and, and hug her and embrace her. And he wanted to, his feelings and his emotions. But he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, get behind me. And the thing disappeared. Now, it really was his wife. She said, no, no, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't. It was a spirit of demons impersonating. I know another friend, his girlfriend died in a car wreck and an apparition appeared to him. Similar story. We need to understand this or we will be swept up in the deception. It won't matter what you've read in the Bible. You believe this is your loved one or you believe it's David come back to talk to you or you believe that. So we need to understand the Bible and accept the Bible's teaching beyond our eyes and our feelings. So even after we looked at 100 texts, people go, but, 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 but what about that text? What about the <laughs> and 100 texts, 100 clear texts? Now, there are a couple texts that does seem to say the opposite. We'll take a look at them. We're not afraid of anything. But when you're doing a Bible study, you don't take a few texts and use those to override hundreds of texts. We looked at over 100 texts. Very clear, plain texts. So let's take a look at these texts. Absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I said it at every funeral, right? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Our beloved brother Paul, in all his epistles, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. 
So Peter says, hey, I love Paul, but you know, he writes some things it's hard to understand, and people take it and twist it to their own destruction. Be careful. How's Peter? Well, that's exactly what's happening here. Because this is not even a full verse. They leave off half the verse, and they take it out of context. So let's look at it in context. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, While we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, We are well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. All right, so verse 8, We are well pleased. What tense is that? We are. Present tense. So Paul is saying, we are presently well pleased to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Is Paul saying he was dead when he wrote this? Right? That's the only thing you can say, right? Because it's present tense. We are pleased to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He's not dead when he wrote that. But as we read it in context, he's talking about spiritual things. By faith, not by sight. While we are at home in the body, he's talking about the carnal nature, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. When we're comfortable in our sins, we are apart from the Lord. We're absent from the Lord when we're in our sin, when we're living in sin, when we're living in our sinful nature. But when we surrender to the Lord, when we die daily, when we are crucified with the Messiah, Yet we live, yet not I, but the Messiah liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we are crucified to self, we are alive and present with the Lord. Here in the now. We are, by faith, walking by faith, not by sight. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about in the spiritual realm. Very clear in the chapter, very clear in the context of this chapter. But they take half a verse, just like Satan did on, to Yeshua in the wilderness, and they make it into a phrase that everyone who never read the Bible can remember. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. They use that to override everything else. They have taken Paul's writings and twisted it to their own destruction. So let's look at another text that people have a problem with. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Yeshua says to the thief that's on the cross with him, that's professing him and accepting him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, that sounds like he's promising the guy, yeah, you're going to go to heaven today, I'm going to meet you there, we're going to be in paradise together, right? That's what it sounds like. But if we keep reading in the Bible, three days later, Yeshua says to Mary, I have not yet ascended to my father. John chapter 20, verse 17. So what, was he lying to the guy? You go on ahead, I'll, be there. I'll see you there today. Well, he's three days late. Which was it? Was he going to see him today, that day, or was he going to see him three days later? And he should have said, go on, you go ahead, and I'll be there in three days. You wait for me. Right, so what's going on here? Obviously, it wasn't meaning today because Yeshua didn't go for another three days. He had not yet ascended to the Father. So what was Yeshua doing? Well, the key is in the punctuation. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, there is no punctuation in the original Bible. No periods, no commas, no question marks, no nothing. So let's look at it again. Well, let's look at an example. 
of a sentence with and without punctuation. Okay, a woman without her man is nothing. How many believe that? A woman without her man is nothing. Do you believe that? <laughs> I don't like that, huh? Okay, let's put a couple of commas in here. Ready? A woman without her man is nothing. There you go. You like that better, huh? How many believe that one? Right? How many? Which one's the right way? It's the same exact words in the same exact order. Just with two little, little, tiny, tiny commas in there. The first one says, the woman is nothing. The second one says, the man is nothing. Which one is right? Well, you guys can debate that, right? But it's all in where you put the commas. And so again, the commas weren't there in the original, so when they translated into English, somebody decided where to put a comma. Now, they should have read the rest of the Bible to decide where to put the comma, Instead of their preconceived idea that they learn from the devil, they do not surely die. So let's look at the text again, how it is in most Bibles. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Right? So let's say we take that comma, looking at all the rest of the Bible text, and that the dead know not anything, their thoughts perish, they wait until the judgment, they sleep, they, rest, they will awake, they rest until the end of days. And so we take that comma and instead put it just one word over, and it says, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Makes all the difference in the world, right? You will be on resurrection morning with me in paradise. Kind of like Wimpy, right? I will gladly pay you on Thursday for a hamburger today, right? <laughs> She was saying, today, I tell you today, assuredly, I tell you today, this day, this day that the Lord has made, this day that all prophecy has pointed to, this day that all history has looked forward to, this day when I am dying for your sins, this day when you are professing me as a thief next to me, this day when my disciples don't believe, when my disciples have left me, when my disciples are confused, when my mother is confused, this day when I am dying for the sins of the world, this day that makes the resurrection possible, this day, today, I promise you, because what I am doing today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Amen? Yes. Makes all the difference in the world. It makes all the difference in the world. And all history since that time has looked back to that day. The most important day of Earth's history. That's why Satan doesn't want us to understand this. Because if everybody went straight to heaven, then there'd be no big deal about the resurrection. Yeshua's resurrection would mean nothing. If everyone goes straight to heaven or hell, well, then Yeshua just went to heaven. What's the big deal? There's no resurrection. There's no importance of the resurrection. There'd be no importance to put the, the stone there. There'd be no importance to, for it to be rolled away. There'd be no importance to him not being there. Everybody just goes. The disciples would not have been surprised. Disciples weren't having a praise service, a, 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 a memorial service of life. They were mourning for three days. The resurrection of Yeshua. 
changed all history. And because he was raised, we will raise. There's no need for a second coming if everyone goes straight to heaven. Nothing makes sense. The rest of the Bible doesn't make How can the judgment be in the end if everyone goes to heaven or hell? Nothing makes sense. We have to throw out all logic and go by our feelings with Satan's lie that we don't surely die. So feelings or the scriptures, which do you choose? I know it makes you feel good. Grandma's in heaven looking down at me. You know, people like that thought. I don't know. I don't want her watching me take a shower. I don't know. You like that thought? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But people like that thought, oh, they're in heaven. They're watching over us. Well, let's think about that. Let's think about this couple. Nice couple. They meet. They fall in love. They get married. They have a child in that order. And the child, they're raising the child, a happy family, happy child, happy marriage, wonderful together. And then the mother tragically dies. And as it's commonly taught, she's whisked off to heaven, and she's looking down on her family, and they have a nice memorial service for her, and a celebration of life service, and the minister says, there she is, she's looking down at us. And then over time, the man meets a lady and seems like a nice lady. They marry. And it turns out when the man's away at work, she's taking money out of the bank account, buying drugs, selling all of the first wife's jewelry and precious things and memorability, wasting it away. She's inviting men into the house. She's selling her daughter, 11 years old. How happy is the first wife in heaven looking down? Is that such a pleasant thought anymore? And that's more of reality for most of our lives. Things are not always bright and happy. We're not in heaven yet. Most of this earth is troubles. And how happy would Adam and Eve be for 6,000 years watching people slowly starve to death, watching people be raped, watching people be abused, watching people be killed and massacred and destroyed and burned and tortured, knowing that it was because of their choice. How happy could they be? It's really not a pleasant thought that they're up there looking down on us when we really think about it. The problem is we don't think about it. Back to some of the writings of Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Least you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Yeshua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Three times he uses this term asleep. So obviously Paul understood they were, we sleep. 
So he didn't, he, he didn't mean absent from the body, present with the Lord. He didn't contradict himself. He clearly understood this. And he doesn't want, the, God does not want us to be ignorant concerning this topic. It's a very important topic. Continues on, verse 16. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. These are the words of comfort. Not words, oh, they're in heaven praising the Lord, dancing on streets of gold. These are the words the Bible says to comfort one another with. That they are asleep, but they will resurrect. And we will resurrect together. They're not going to precede us. We're not going to precede them. We're going to get to go together. Together we'll meet the Lord in the air. Together we will see him coming with the clouds. Together we will hear the trumpet call. Together the dead in Messiah will rise. And we which are alive and remain together with them. That's wonderful. So our deceased loved ones, we'll get to go together with them. We'll get to experience the Lord's coming, his second coming, together with them. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed, for this mortal must put on immortality. When do we put on immortality? At the last trump on resurrection morning. And until that time, we sleep. We rest in peace. When this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Amen? Amen. Death will be no more at that time and only at that time. But until that time, we surely die. Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. It's at the resurrection, the wake-up call of the Lord, that we see the Lord and praise his name and see his face. Then, and only then. So, do we surely die, or do we not surely die? Who do we believe? So if you came in here tonight thinking you believed God, but as we looked at these texts and you compared it with what you've been taught and compared it with what you've been thinking before, and you see that really you bought into the devil's lie, that you did believe that you didn't really surely die, that your loved ones went off into heaven, then in the moment when we pray, I invite you to ask the Lord to break that false theology that's been seeded into your mind. And that the Lord Take it out. And that the Lord put in his truth. Again, it's going to take a miracle of God. It's going to take the power of God. It's not just making a decision over one thing or the other. This is a spiritual battle 
to the very end. We need God's grace to free us from that wrong thinking. And so if you'd like to have that, if that when you came in here thinking and you want God to change your thinking, in a moment we pray, ask the Lord to break that past and to let the truth sink in. Secondly, if you want to pray for the future, that when the overmastering deception comes and familiar spirits are visiting us left and right, at that moment, we won't have time to pray. At that moment, you might not even think to pray. At that moment, you'll be just so overwhelmed. So you want to pray now. And you want to say, Lord, prepare me for that time. Lord, when that time comes, put my, your words in my mouth. And when that time comes, give me the power to stand. Even though all the rest of the world is saying, oh, no, they're there, they're, they're, they're dead talking to us. That you will have the power to stand against literally the whole world. If you want to pray that in a moment when we pray, you can ask God to give you strength for that time. You will hear our prayers ahead of time as we pray them now. Third, if there's some area in your life, some sin, might not have to do with this topic at all, but any area, any sin, we don't want to give the devil any foothold in any area of our life, otherwise we won't be able to be set free. So if there's any sin, any area that you know is not right with God, anything you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, anything you know you should be doing you're not doing, any, any area of sin, any motive, any thoughts, Anything, any character trait, in the moment when we pray, surrender it to the Lord. So that self, the flesh, can be crucified completely, and you can live in the Spirit with the Lord and be present with the Lord, now and forevermore, in fa by faith. If any of those areas apply to you, or if you've never accepted the Messiah, if you have not fully accepted him as King of Kings, Lord of Lord of your life, if you have not accepted him as your Savior, in a moment when we pray, accept him. Because he died for your sins. He's been resurrected for you. He is life. He is eternal life. And the only way to eternal life is through him. And so if you want to receive the gift of eternal life because of Yeshua's death and burial and resurrection, in a moment when we pray, Thank him for that and accept it by faith. If any of those areas apply to you and maybe some other area in your life, let's pray and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you. We thank you for your word. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful that you've warned us of these things so that we can know these things, that we don't be deceived by familiar spirits, that we don't be deceived by the devil appearing as an angel of light, that we don't have to listen to his lies anymore. We want to receive your spirit. We want to receive your truth. Holy Spirit, come into us, live in us, and out of us. Yeshua, break Satan's hold by the power and blood of Yeshua, by your blood, by your resurrection. Break Satan's hold over our lives, the deceptions that we've been taught. Free our minds, free our hearts, free our spirit, and live in us, and live out of us. Remove all sin, cover us, and cleanse us. Walk us in your righteousness and prepare us for the future. Prepare us for the coming deceptions over this world. And give us the strength to stand till all the rest of the world falls. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.